Good, 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 good. Okay, so you can't be doing that to me, man. I almost lost my voice before I even came up and preached, so thank you, brother. Um, hey, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it is October. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, it's only 85 days till Christmas. Some of y'all are like, I know. I've already got your decorations up. October is the month, as Paul referenced, that everything smells like pumpkin all of a sudden. Uh, and I have a lot of jokes there, but I don't want people to leave the church over pumpkin jokes, so... I'll bite my tongue and just say it later in the sermon. Um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, We're going to be in Ecclesiastes today, so you can flip over to there. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, the usher's going to come forward now, and when they pass your road, just slip your hand up and they'll pass a Bible down to you. Uh, If you do not own a Bible, we want you to take and keep that. It's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word to be able to use it uh, during the week and uh, be able to read whenever you want. So you can also follow along on your smartphone. If you have the uh, Bible app, uh, you can type in events, type in the well also. You can follow along that way. Uh, If you don't know what that is or don't have that app, you can actually just take that link, put it right into your browser, follow along that way. Uh, We want your eyes on the Word. We say this every week, all right? And so whether it's on your phone or physical Bible, whatever it may be, uh, we want you to see these are the words of God. And we genuinely, truly believe that God's Word is alive, it's active, it does something to us. And as we study it, as we look into it, we realize, like, these aren't just words on a page. These aren't just written by men, but literally it's alive. The Holy Spirit has inspired it. And as we understand them, we come alive in Christ and God communicates to us. And so we want our eyes to be focused on the word. All right. So we're going to be finishing up uh, our uh, sermon series on work this morning. But before we do, just a quick kind of PSA, uh, our next sermon series is going to be on uh, justice and mercy. Uh, And honestly, in God's sovereignty, I don't think that there could have been a more appropriate time to handle some of these issues than right now. All right. When we planned this several months ago, like the stuff that was swirling around our culture wasn't swirling around as it is today. And so now all of a sudden, as we walk into the series, I think it's a very appropriate time to kind of look at and see what does God have to say about different issues of justice. And we'll be focusing specifically on Imago Dei issues or image of God issues that humanity is literally made in the image of God. And that as we understand that, it changes the way that we approach the people around us. And so we're going to look at racial reconciliation and how do you actually uh, uh, reconcile and what is God's purpose even behind creating races because he's the one that did it. Right? We're going to look at uh, the refugee. We're going to look at uh, abortion. We're going to look at the orphan and just all these different issues. And I think that most of the time in our culture, there's kind of this narrative that's displayed at large. And Christians either don't really think like that or fit into that narrative, or we as believers don't know how to handle what Scripture says because we're confused by kind of the culture around us. And so I think that we'll be shocked as to what Scripture has to say on these issues. I think that we'll uh, be encouraged in a lot of ways, uh, and really, I hope, gain a heart for those who are oppressed, those who are hurting, those who have been marginalized in some way, and see how God's character tries to draw them back into redemption, all right? So I'm excited about that, Um, and yeah, I just hope that it would be something that would be encouraging to us, but I wanted to prep our hearts even for that to know what's coming along, all right? So we're going to finish up on work. The first week, we kind of looked at God's design for work, and why did God create work in the first place, and what does that look like? How do we work well? And we looked at how God's original design, work was created to bless him, bless God, to bless humanity, and to bless his creation. 
Last week, though, Nick followed up and said, hey, that's true, but a lot of us feel a lot of frustration in work, right? And what is that? Well, we know that's part of the fall. The fall came and kind of corrupted a lot of the things that are around us. And the scriptures say that now work produces thorns and thistles for us, that, that it's a hard task to do. However, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Nick went on to say, is literally redemptive, not just in our relationship with the Father, but in all things, work included. And now we actually can work as to the glory of God. And that's a, a beautiful thing because it frees us in our work, all right? We're going to kind of take that and continue on with this today and try to look at, hey, what is uh, God's design? What is his direction? What is his uh, purpose for our specific jobs individually? So different things like, like, how do you pick a job, as kind of the video said, or, or what if you, like, hate your job, right? No amens there, all right? Like, like, what would that look like? How do you then still do that well? What's the, what's the meaning behind what God has you in even today? So we're going to cover a lot of practical things today and hopefully give us some uh, a practical application as to how we can truly worship in our work, all right? Here's what I think. I think that many Christians are confused as to how they kind of find what they have been called to do by God, what they are created to do. And I think that we lack a lot of purpose, a lot of intentionality, because we just don't really know how to tackle that issue. All right. Now, I believe, and we'll cover this a little bit more later, but that every single person who has been redeemed by God has been designed by God also to do something extraordinary for the kingdom, something that is actually transcendent. It goes beyond ourselves that the reason that all of us, whether we are a Christian or not in here, we're just trying to figure out God, all of us will feel this desire to do something that really is kind of beyond ourselves to be able to do. And why do we all feel that? I believe that God in his great design has created within us, he's hardwired within us this desire to be able to do something great for our king. And I think that as a believer, he's also not just given us this desire, but even the ability to be able to carry that out. That we don't just work a mundane job, nine to five. That we don't just have mundane relationships. But literally, God, in his infinite goodness, has done something where we are able to honor him in these deep and in these beautiful ways. But how do we do that? Historically, we've had a lot of different uh, uh, thoughts and opinions and suggestions as to how do we find what we're called to do? How do we find God's direction for our life? What does that practically look like? Okay, I want to throw up a chart. We're going to reference this a lot today. But I think that a good uh, uh, understanding of what we're called to do can be found in the combination of a lot of different things. And if you're in the back, sorry, I didn't realize how small this might be. But uh, that first top circle says our natural and our spiritual gifts, right? God has given each of us these natural gifts. And if you are a believer in Jesus, he has also given you supernatural gifts that you got upon salvation that he wants you to use to make much of his name and to find joy, to find meaning, to find purpose in your life. He also has given us passions and desires. These are things that are innate within our heart that we have this, this deep longing for in some ways. And then also, I think something that we frequently miss is he's given us a community to affirm or confirm what God has called us towards. And I think that finding this balance, kind of finding the middle where all of those things collide, this is how we begin to find what God has called us as believers to do. Oftentimes, though, we only focus on one of these things or two of these things, and we don't realize that they all kind of fit in together. So, for example, you may feel like you are called to, say, lead worship. But then when you get up and you sing and people go, oh, 
wow, that's cool. All right. The community is not confirming this calling that you have in your heart. So you may have this desire to worship, right? But maybe the community is like, ah, I don't really know. And there was nothing natural about that note you tried to hit, right? And so, man, you don't have the gift. And that's an okay thing, right? Now, maybe the reason that God has designed you to care about music is not because you're supposed to be leading worship, but doing something else around it, all right? And so a lot of times we tend to uh, mix up a lot. Now, real quick on confirmation of community, I think a lot of times we get confused because whenever you do something, like if this sermon sucks today, nine of you are still going to come and be like, man, good job, brother. Because like we don't know what else to say, right? So good job isn't the affirmation, but rather, hey, God's doing something there, right? Like if every time you do something, somebody comes and says, man, like God is changing my life, because of what you're doing. There, there's something divine, something powerful. If they start affirming that, like, man, there's something deeper than just you have a good gift at this, then I think the community is affirming the things that God has put on our heart. Another example is that maybe uh, the reverse kind of, maybe the, the community is trying to affirm in you that you need to be a lawyer because you lie really well. I mean, because you're logical and you argue well, right? <laughs> All right, don't sue me, attorneys. I'm just kidding, okay? Right? But, like, but you might not have a passion or desire for that. Okay, well, then should you go into it? Well, I would say maybe not. Maybe the reason God has given you some of these giftings is, is not because you're supposed to go into law, but maybe the community is affirming you that, hey, you're logical, you see these arguments, you're able to, to pace them out, and maybe you find something there. All they know is law, but for you, God may be calling you into something slightly different. Y'all following me? Right? And so I think a lot of times, even in Christendom, we tend to focus just on that top one. What are your spiritual gifts? Right? And so we say, oh, you have the spiritual gift of teaching, so you should be a preacher. But that may not be true at all. God may call you to be a teacher in an elementary school, and that is just as glorifying to God as it is to get up and deliver a sermon. It's us trying to walk in the calling that God has for us. And I think that as we kind of merge those things together, we're able to find it a lot easier. However, I think that far too often, we take an anti-biblical approach to try to figure out what God has actually designed and crafted us for. In fact, I think that we take a foolish approach a lot of times, the scripture would say. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, which is where we'll be today, Solomon, who is uh, uh, arguably the wisest man outside of Jesus that has ever lived, is writing about this exact thing, about work, right? And what we'll see as we read through these letters is that there's really nothing new under the sun. The same motivations that people had for work thousands of years ago are the exact same motivations that we have today, and a lot of times they're foolishness. We seek after things that are not kind of a combination of these, but rather something very, very contrary, and they land our heart an unrestful place, and we feel this churning, this yearning, like, ah, oh, we hate our jobs, or we don't know what God's calling us to do, or whatever it may be, and Solomon gives us wisdom on how to avoid that. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse 4. It says this. Then I saw that all toil, that word toil can be translated to work, okay, that's what Solomon is talking about. I saw that all toil and all skill and work came from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity, a striving after the wind. 
One way that people try to find their calling is by bettering their neighbor or envying their neighbor. And this is not how you find what God has called you to do. Now, what we normally think of of envy and kind of trying to better our neighbor is we think of uh, we see our neighbor with the nice house and they're also driving a Tesla and we're like, I'm about to be better than that. And so then we try to make more money and build a nicer house and the newer model of the Tesla and we keep up with the Joneses. That's what we normally think of in envy. And let's not discredit that. That definitely happens, right? There's a temptation on our hearts to be better than. So we choose our profession. We choose our calling based on what will kind of make us better in that way. And this is foolishness, Solomon says. But there's also a more subtle way that I think envy kind of creeps into our hearts, particularly around this idea of calling. For example, some people will, say, be a banker over, let's say, a construction worker, Not necessarily because the money will be that different depending on the fields of work that you're in there, but the status will be a lot different. For us, some of us will think, ah, this doesn't have as much acclaim. This won't give me as much praise. And so I'm going to choose to be a banker. Why? Because I am actually envying my neighbor's praise. I desire people around me to to elevate me. I don't want them to look down on me. So I'm going to choose my profession. I'm going to choose my job based on what would give me the most accolade, based on what people would honor me most in. So we literally ignore what we're good at or what we desire to do. And we walk into these other areas trying to envy our neighbor's praise. And Solomon says this is foolishness. It's striving after the wind, right? It's, it's chasing after the wind. What happens is, is we care more about what God's creation cares about, man, right? We care more about what man cares about than what God has even designed and created us for. And because of that, we get stuck and we start spinning the wheels and we feel frustrated because we're actually chasing our neighbor's praise. Tim Keller in Every Good Endeavor says this, One of the reasons work is both fruitless and pointless is the powerful inclination of the human heart to make work and its attendant benefits the main basis of one's meaning and identity. When this happens, work is no longer a way to create and bring out the wonders of the created order, as Calvin would say, or to be an instrument of God's providence serving the basic needs of our neighbors, as Luther would say. Instead, it becomes a way to distinguish myself from my neighbor, to show the world and to prove to myself that I'm special. It is a way to accumulate power and security and to exercise control over my destiny. Too often, we are trying to find this idea, what makes me special, what, what makes me, me become, uh, feel significant. And for the Christian, listen, friends, this comes at the cross of Christ. And when we allow work to usurp that, we try to find our calling, our identity, our purpose, our value in our jobs, and we are actually idolizing something that is not a good savior. Work is a pathetic savior. And we cannot find identity or purpose or value there, but a lot of times we, we try to, and a lot of it is just us envying our neighbor, trying to gain praise from man or make ourselves feel special. And listen, friends, this comes at the cross of Christ. As we sing these worship songs and we sing, the Father accepts us, his arms are open. Why? It's because of Christ, not because we're a lawyer, right? Not because we're an engineer, not because we graduated from blank school. Like that has nothing to do with our actual value, but a lot of times we think it does. And so we're ashamed if we work, say, a lesser job 
because we're looking for the praise of people around us. We care more about what they say than what he says, and that's a problem. And a lot of us, we chase after those things. It's like chasing after the wind, trying to catch the wind is what Solomon says. Have any of you ever tried to catch the wind before? Somebody was like, oh, God, nobody else is raising their hand. All right, don't be embarrassed, right? You can't do it, right? It's foolishness, Solomon says. Good luck trying to catch the wind in here today. And Solomon says that's what a lot of us are doing with our jobs. It doesn't seem to work. You're not going to find satisfaction there. You'll be left striving and fighting and spinning your wheels, and you'll be frustrated. Solomon keeps going, verse 5. It says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. I, just, I actually really love that verse, <laughs> all right? The fool is the lazy person is what this can be. The guy who thinks either work doesn't matter or he kind of makes excuses to work hard. And so rather than following his gifts or his desires or the confirmation of community, what he does is he tries to find the easiest route. Whatever is easiest, this is what God has called me to do. The NLT, I love it, it says that this man brings ruin to all that are around him. Because he's seeking this ease. It's uh, idleness. So the first one's kind of idolatry, us elevating work. This one is idle, I-D-L-E. We are lazy. We're not doing what God has actually called us to do. And I see this often, particularly in guys, because I think that we take after our daddy, Adam, and we struggle with passivity. And so what ends up happening is they won't work a hard job because uh, they're, they're called to be a, a missionary or an artist or an entrepreneur, or I can keep stepping on toes in here, but I think you get it, right? And what ends up happening is they actually end up creating ruin around them because they are unwilling to work hard because they're trying to find kind of the easiest route and they don't want to go work at something that maybe they think is lesser or maybe that will work really, really hard. And they make these excuses like, well, people just don't appreciate my craft. No, brother, you're lazy, <laughs> Right? And Proverbs or Ecclesiastes says this is foolishness. Now, I know this is hard, but listen to me, friends. Like, if we do that, we will not find the joy that God has set before us. Solomon and, and Jesus in the scripture isn't trying to make our life hard. They're trying to make our lives come alive. And work is not the easiest thing in the world. The fall promised us that. And so in our jobs, it may not be the easiest thing on earth. And so now maybe you don't have a rhythm or, or you're unsure is what God has called you to do. You're trying to walk toward that. That's something different, right? But not stepping up and taking the responsibility that God has given to you is foolishness. Paul in 1 Thessalonians said, if a man doesn't work, then let him not eat. Like, that's harsh, right? It's like a father that tells his daughter, if you don't clean your room, you just got to stay in there until it's done, right? And I don't think I'm a bad dad for telling her that. <laughs> Right? You got to teach your responsibility, ethic to, to actually do something, to not be lazy. Things aren't handed to you. You got to work hard. And so we don't find our calling based on whatever is easiest. Right? Like, I, I feel like I am in my calling right now. Like, God has called me into ministry to be a pastor. I feel like I'm in that, but it's far from easy. Right? Like the first meeting, you're meeting with somebody and they're, they're crying because brokenness is around their life and you're weeping there with them. 
The next meeting, you see somebody that is totally ignoring their sin and you know what's going to happen to their life and they choose to reject it anyway. The next meeting, somebody wants to cuss you out over something that doesn't matter and you got to swallow it because you're a pastor and you want to be like, let the Detroit come up in you and be like, dog, you don't know me. Right? And be ready to fight, but you can't do that. Like, and all of a sudden, like, like this is hard, right? There are all these things, but, but there's joy in the midst of the hardness because when you walk in what God has called you to do, there's joy in it. So it's not whatever is easiest, okay? God sometimes calls you into hard things, you know, like being nailed to a cross and drinking the wrath of God was a call, and that was hard, right? Verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after the wind. This is essentially the reverse of the previous sentence, okay? You also don't find your calling and whatever makes you work the hardest. Workaholism is not how you find what your calling is because some people, they feel super, super accomplished because they're running and running and running and running and running. And once again, they're trying to find values in their job. So they sprint 100, 1,000 miles an hour. But Christian, Christ has said that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Why are we trying to find our significance in the things that we do? We feel a sense of importance when we work hard, right? But that's like trying to catch the wind. Has anybody done it yet since I said the last time? I saw a couple of you like, all right? You can't do it, all right? It slides through our hands. There's, there's an inability to do this. And so I think that too many of us, we try to find our main identity through our works. And honestly... Some of y'all work too much, just straight up, right? Like, you can't be in community. You're sacrificing your family at the altars of the job. The job is not going to save your wife and your kids, right? The job is not going to give you what you're looking for, but we work too much, and we're finding all of our value. We're running all of our time, and we feel like we're doing something because we feel like we're making a difference, but even our Father set a pace for us to rest, so he's saying better is one hand of working and striving. It's hard. Don't be lazy, right? But also he's saying, no, 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 don't, don't, don't grasp it fully. One hand of work, one hand of quietness. This is what God has actually called us to do. The gospel gives you significance, Christian, not running a 1,000 miles an hour. Sebastian Traeger in his book, The Gospel at Work, says the pressure is on to convince other people that what we do is important and that we're good at it. The social cues around us push us to find our identity in our jobs, the things we do. This is a deadly spiritual danger. So like when someone says, hey, how have you been? And you go, whew, busy. <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that what we're doing? Affirm me. Please tell me that I'm worthy because we're trying to find our value in our jobs. Because we would hate to say, hey, how are you? And you're like, I'm actually unemployed right now. Because you know what people will think about you then, right? Your value does not come in whatever makes you work the hardest, nor in being lazy. There's a balance that Christ calls us to, and this balance actually gives us joy, and it gives us peace, okay? Let's keep reading the last two verses. Again, verse 7, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is a vanity and an unhappy business. This one's a little bit more obvious, at least the first part of this verse, and so we won't spend as much time here, but you don't find your calling in whatever makes you the most money, 
right? Like, like that's not how you find what brings satisfaction. Solomon says it's actually an unhappy business. We could play 7,000 clips of people who have been rich and famous, and they say things like, I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? I almost sang that, but I'm not going to do that, <laughs> all right? No, the sermon's done. That's all you're going to be singing now, all right? <laughs> right? But, like, that's literally what we do a lot of times. You know, we, we search and we fight and, and we think that if having more makes me happy. But Solomon says that's not what makes you happy. Listen, friends, the Bible is written that you would have joy. In fact, if you're wrestling with Christianity, like, that's one thing is that oftentimes we think, oh, this is a, a rule bearer that kind of brings me down and tells me things I can't do. No, the scripture actually brings us freedom, right? It says, hey, listen, if you walk in this way, God knows how you are wired because he created you. And if you walk in that way, then you will find your joy. Solomon says to just search after money is an unhappy business. And so some of you right, are, are trying to find your calling based on what makes you the most money, and, and that's just not going to bring satisfaction. L uh, money doesn't bring happiness. However, if we look at this person, there's a second thing that happens there. It says that he doesn't have any brother or, or, or really friends is what's laid out there, that actually he's sacrificing relationships for the sake of his job, and that's also not how we find our calling, is by forsaking community, Right? A lot of times people will forsake community because their job feels so important, not realizing that community is actually, friends, more valuable than any job that can be given to you. There's a higher significance, right? The next four verses actually really highlight this. Say two is better than one. Right? A threefold cord is not easily broken. And so we see this value of community. I would go as far to say this. A lot of times, people will move, say, another city or something to make like $6,000 a year more. And that may be what God's calling you to do. And that's not a bad thing. But a lot of times, what happens is they go, they can't find community, they get pulled out, they start wrestling with their spirituality. But when they were in the presence of other people around them, their, their wife was healthy and she felt supported by relationships. The husband was being discipled. The kids were coming to know Jesus. What's the value of community? If you could do a cost-benefit analysis, another way to say it like that, like is $6,000 more a year really worth losing all the relationships that you have? We have to think about that. That's what Solomon is telling us. Is a little bit bigger house really worth forsaking the people that are around you? Maybe. That, uh, that's not, it's not the, a no, right? But maybe not either. Community is far more valuable. We have far more purpose. We are supported. We are spurred on to love and know Jesus through our family, right? And so a lot of times we have to think about that. Now, once again, most of us aren't from Austin. We've moved family to probably pursue a job, right? And that's not a bad thing. God may be calling us into those, but we really have to weigh that at times. And a lot of us, we don't. We just seek the higher paycheck right, or the, the fancier lifestyle or the job that gives you more acclaim and status rather than more important things like the family God has placed around you. So we cannot forsake these things is what Solomon's telling us. This is foolishness, but that's a lot of us how we find our calling and our job, right? So going back to our chart again there, how often are we like the foolish man in Proverbs rather than uh, what Scripture actually lays out? There's verses to these. Literally, I had like 100 verses for each of these, so we're not going to cover them, but you can go look at those later if you want. It's all over Scripture if you look for it. That God says, hey, this is how you actually walk into what God has called you to do. Now, we still have an answer to me, though. One of the most important questions 
And is that, does our, our calling even have to be found in our jobs in the first place? And like, what if we hate our jobs? Or what if we're terribly bored at our jobs? Right? Like, like then what? What does scripture say to that? I think that so often, actually, it's more the normative than it is the, the rarity that actually our calling by God transcends our jobs. In other words, we're not necessarily called into what our jobs happen to be. God has a, a greater or a different calling because part of it is how you define calling, right? We'll look in a second. All of us have been called to these different things. But if we're a Christian and we're kind of bored at our jobs, I would say that we're missing our greater calling from God. In fact, let's go. Acts chapter 17 kind of highlights this a little bit. Nick touched on this last week, but I want to dive into it a little bit more. In Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 26, it says this, And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot in periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. The gospel tells us that Christ has redeemed our work in such a way to where even if we don't like our jobs, God has determined our dwelling place where we will live, the, the season of life that we will be born. The reason that you are alive at 2017 is because God desires for you to know who he is. And if you were born in 1200 AD or 6000 BC, the likelihood of you finding God would be lesser than it is right now. And so God desires that we would know him. But listen, for the Christian, this actually means that we now have a calling, a significance that transcends even where we are right now. Like God has determined, he's allotted where we are and we are now on mission with him. Christ's ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5 would say, we are the fragrance of Christ to the world around us. And so even if we we hate our jobs or we're bored at our jobs, I would say that we're actually missing this greater truth that God has literally placed us in our jobs for a reason, for a purpose, and that may be to help others come to know who he is. When I was a student, that was my job at the time, right? That's what God was calling me to do, okay? Now listen, I hated school, I detested school, okay, because as a freshman, I felt like God was calling me into ministry. I felt like very, very affirmed by that. I felt like my gifts were really into that. I felt like I was desirous. I was passionate about it. And so I wanted to go into ministry. So my freshman year of college, I would pray things like, God, if you want me to just drop out and move to Africa right now, I'm done. Let's do this, right? Like, just give me any sign. And if the wind had blowed the trees a certain way, I would have left, right? Like, I was pleading with God because I hated school, okay? However, my senior year, right, well, I'm uh, in the dorm still trying to, trying to do uh, uh, outreach and stayed in the dorms on purpose, and uh, we started this little Bible study on Tuesday nights. And at first, like, two people would come here and there, three people would come, and then all of a sudden, God gave us what we would call the person of peace, the person that's going to kind of collect and draw everyone else. And this guy started coming to our Bible study, and so then every Tuesday night from then on out, he would walk down the hallways and be like, it's Bible study time, let's go, knock on doors, boom, boom, Dude, like doors would be shut at that time, right? No, let's go, get off that game, right? A guy was like, I have a test tomorrow. He was like, bro, you're a cuss word going to hell, <laughs> is what he said. Now, this guy wasn't a believer, right? And the guy was like, you're going to hell too. He was like, why do you think I'm going to the Bible study, dog? <laughs> All right? And he's like fighting, right? Literally, at the end of that uh, semester, 22 out of the 26 guys that were on that floor were in this evangelistic Bible study. 
And maybe God had me at a place that I hated because he wanted to do something there, right? Maybe I was supposed to be God's fragrance there. Maybe this guy who was cussing people out, telling them to get to the blank word Bible study, (laughs) was actually God trying to draw people to the gospel. And if I had been faithless, right, if I was like, I hate this, I'm done, I'm not doing this, then I might have missed what God was actually trying to do. Because out of that is an elder at a church right now and a worship pastor at a church right now. And several people that got saved, they're just solid businessmen and women even came. Their girlfriends started coming. And it was a beautiful thing. Now, let me reverse it for you so I don't sound holier than now. I hated school. Okay? And so I would make these excuses to not be faithful in the area that God had me in. So I would not study, okay? Like, I I literally did not study. And so I would do ministry, do ministry, do ministry, and I would disciple 8, 9, 10, 15 guys a semester, and I'd be like, "Uh, the Lord knows what I'm doing. I'm called to ministry. I'm not called to this stupid college thing, right? And so I would literally forsake what God had called me to, which was to be a good student. And test time would come around, and I would, like, try to cram or even cheat a little bit, and I would justify and be like, I'm doing ministry, Like, how foolish does that sound now, right? And so literally, I'm sitting there, and and I'm fighting. I'm trying to slide my way through college, even lying at times to get through. And then here's what happened. I did go into ministry. And as soon as I got into ministry, I had to start doing things like prepping sermons. And when you prep sermons, you have to do a lot of studying. And because I was in Detroit Public School System and did not learn how to study there, I literally didn't go to my junior and senior year of high school. I I never went to classes. I just skipped school and got all A's, all right? Yay, right? Okay. So now I go to college. I don't study. And now all of a sudden I'm in ministry, and I have no idea how to study. And so I'm sitting here trying to prep these sermons, and I'm having, like, a hard time reading. I can't even comprehend the things that I'm reading. Why? Because I was faithless where God had me in the moment. I didn't realize that God was actually using this to prepare me for a calling that he actually had on my life. And so not only has God given us mission that kind of transcends work, but I would even say that he is orchestrating our lives in such a way that if we submit to his plan, then he will lay out what he's called us to do. And what was happening is I was trying to kind of do my own plan, and I was skirting what God had called me to in that season. It's important to be faithful, friends, where we are. In fact, what happens is the world tends to tell us that our job is what defines us, is what gives us significance and purpose and identity. And the scriptures say, no, 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 there's so much more. But your work does have value, though. There is faithfulness that God calls us to. In fact, our work is a way to worship if we do it to the glory of God, as we learned last week. God is calling us toward something even so much greater than our job. And a lot of times what he calls us to actually transcends our job so we can just do our job well while we're walking toward what God has actually called us to. I mean, think about the people in Scripture, right? Abraham, what was his job? A lot of us don't know. Because God had a calling that had nothing to do with his actual job, but his job was readying him for that calling. What about Moses? What was his job? His calling was different. Now, there are people in the Bible like King David whose calling it was to be a king and whose job it was to be a king. So his job did match his calling, but a lot of times the jobs did not match the calling like our Savior. Who thinks that Christ was called onto earth to be a carpenter? But that was his job, wasn't it? 
That's what he did. And, and I would probably argue that maybe in many ways his ability to do carpen, carpen, yep, well, right, was actually what was preparing him to be a good Messiah. Like, like a claim that you never see of Jesus is like, he can't be a, a Messiah. Look at that jank table that he made. Right? Look, dude sat on his chair and broke his arm. He can't be the savior, right? Like, like that was never said of him. Why? Because Christ probably did his job well until he was able to walk into the calling that God had for him. And so even Jesus himself is our example that his calling wasn't necessarily found in his job, but he did his job well that he may fulfill the calling that God had for him. And so this is where Christ even models it for us, right? Where he even is our example for us. He goes before us as a way of which we can follow. Because more importantly even, what happened is that because Christ did walk in his calling to perfection, the gospel tells us now that he has redeemed all things in our lives, even the job that we hate or that feels mundane. He has given us something that transcends beyond that, friends. And he's called you into something significant. In fact, let's look at our last passage today, Ephesians chapter 2. We'll wind down with this. But in Ephesians chapter 2, this is a, a famous gospel passage. And I want to I start in verse 8 because this text tells us, I believe, that literally every single person that's been called by Christ is literally giving something inside of them that should make an eternal difference, a, a transcendent, beyond ourselves difference. Verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, salvation is a free gift. We receive it by believing in Jesus. We don't work our way into the gospel. But then it goes on to say this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, Jesus did not just save us to get us back into a right relationship with the Father. He did not just save us that we may uh, exit hell and enter into heaven. He did not save us just for our vertical relationship, though, let's be real, he did that. Hallelujah, amen, bless the Lamb of God. However, he also saved us for even the things like our work. We are God's workmanship, his poema, his poetry, is what the Greek reads. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. He actually prepared them for us beforehand that we may be able to walk in them. If you are a believer in Jesus, then God has prepared for you something significant that transcends even who we are. It transcends. It makes a, a, a massive difference. And we walk in that through the lens of the gospel. That as we believe in Christ and we receive this, this gift that's not a result of works, then we're able to actually go and do works that make a significant and eternal difference. The gospel doesn't just free us from our sins. It frees us to do our jobs well and to try to walk in the calling that God has for us and to literally make a difference, to have value, significance, purpose. So often the question is, what is my purpose? What's, what's the purpose of life? Well, the gospel answers that. If we believe in Jesus, you have eternal purpose, deep, deep significance. The Father has prepared something for you that is magnificent, right? Not to quote Russell Crowe in Gladiator, but to quote him, right? What happens here echoes throughout eternity. See, I love that quote because that's actually a true truth. 
that for the believer in Jesus, what we do here will literally echo throughout eternity. God is preparing something for us that is significant. Friends, you have purpose. Your life is not meaningless or, or valueless, and it's not only found in your job, but also so much more. A lot of times it even transcends your job. Like, like think about if God has called you maybe, say, to be a church elder, let's say, right? Like, like that's not getting paid a lot of times if you're a lay elder, right? And, and so maybe your job does nothing more than support that. So if you travel six out of seven days of the week, would you be able to be a good elder? No. So you can kind of find what you should do for a job, do something that would free you up to be able to be an elder if this is what God has called you to. Or maybe you're called into adoption, right? Well, well, if, if, if your job would steal you away from your family and not give the support that it needs, then maybe you should think about choosing a different profession. But adoption has usually nothing to do with our job, so our jobs just support our greater calling. You tracking with that? And so God, a lot of times, calls us outside of our job. That's where we find our, our true kind of gift that he's given us, the works that he's prepared beforehand. And sometimes it lines right up, man, praise the Lord for that. But a lot of times, what we do is we just figure it out, right? We are faithful of where we are. And this is what happens. Christ died for us that we might live for him. And he died for us not just to connect us to the Father, but to give us significance. Sebastian Traeger, once again, said this. When glorifying Jesus is our primary motivation, our work, regardless of what that work and, uh, is in its particulars, becomes an act of worship. As we move toward our calling, whether it is found in our work or not, whether we are loving what we're doing or we're hating what we're doing, we actually get a chance to worship. Because if we serve Jesus well, he becomes our boss and he becomes our king. And if we are trying the king is pleased, friends. I love looking at the life of Jesus. In Matthew uh, chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. And this is before he's tempted by Satan. This is before he preaches to the multitudes. This is before he's healed anybody or did anything. He gets baptized, and the heavens open up, and the Father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is before Jesus did any work. He could have failed his mission, Father said, I am well pleased. We don't gain the pleasure of the Father by our works. We gain it by belief in him. And if we believe in him, then he will look at you and say, I am well pleased. But then as a result of that, we can now serve Jesus. We can work for the king. We can run hard. We have purpose and meaning in life, just like Jesus did in the rest of his ministry. And he's laid a foundation that we would be able to walk in this too. Friends, you may hate your jobs. You may not know specifically what you're called to do right now, or you may know it exactly, and it's just hard. Whatever it may be, God has laid out a way to the gospel that we would have purpose, meaning, significance. Listen, let's say it like this. He has rigged the Christian life in your favor. If you believe in Jesus, he's rigged it, that as long as you are trying to be faithful to him, you will find your joy in him. So friends, let us be faithful where we are. Let us be a people who, who tries to walk out our calling, who does try to figure out what God has called us to do. But in the meantime, we walk by faith doing the gifts that God has given to us. One of those great gifts is that of work. And I pray that we would be a people that do that well. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that in your grace, God, that you have 
given us the ability to be the fragrance of you, Christ, wherever we go. 